Welcome to episode five of Joe Thomas's Film Room. I'm your host, Andrew Gribble, and on this week's episode, Joe and I break down Hall of Fame defensive end Jason Taylor. Taylor, who played his college ball at the University of Akron, ranked seventh all-time in sacks and was the defensive MVP of the NFL in 2006. Enjoy this week's film breakdown of Jason Taylor. Hey, Joe, this is week six of your rookie season, and I know you'd mentioned in, in conversations before, maybe the study habits weren't, you had to learn real quickly uh, about, a, uh, about these players. Jason Taylor had quite a reputation, though, going into this game. What did you know about him uh, before you got on the field for that week mm-hmm. six game? So going into my first week against James Harrison, didn't really know a whole lot about right. him, but going into this game, everybody knew who Jason Taylor was. I think at this point he was coming off of being named Defensive Player of the Year. He had like 17 sacks or something like that the year before. So he was a force to be reckoned with. And this was probably the first game that I can remember where the stakes were really high. The team was starting to play pretty well. We were starting to win some games. And this was a matchup that people had circled. Like people on TV going into the game, everybody wanted to talk to me about it because rookie left tackle, Defensive Player of the Year, it's probably gonna be a disaster. Jason Taylor is gonna have a bunch of sacks. So. Um, I had already kind of built some pretty good study habits and a good routine of how to break these guys down. And when I was watching Jason Taylor, I noticed that everything really kind of started from uh, a a long arm stab, we call it, where he kind of puts that stiff arm out there. And he was such a tall player. He was really good at putting that stiff arm in your chest, getting you a little bit off balance. And then as you would try to counterbalance and you'd start leaning forward to resist against that stiff arm he'd put out there, he had a really good a good way of flipping his hips and knocking your hands down, and he would kind of what we'd call like a slap and rip and get past you. And he got a lot of sacks like that for either he would just put that long arm out, push you back, or he'd start pushing you back, and then he'd slap your hands and then go around you to the outside. So I, I noticed that, and I thought that being that I had a little bit of a martial arts MMA background, I had worked with some guys in the offseason on improving and like understanding how the human body works, and the forces at play and the different balance, I realized that if he stuck that long, long arm out and you let it get into your pads, it was over. Like yeah. he had you where he wanted you, he was gonna get you off balance, he was gonna beat you. But if I was able to act like a boxer and see that long arm coming, I would take my inside hand and I would actually punch his hand so it looked like we were slapping five on the field. <laughs> that would be enough to keep him away from me where he wouldn't be able to get to my outside shoulder and he wouldn't be able to knock me off balance because I was actually knocking him off balance a little bit because he was ready to lean on that thing and all of a sudden he was getting hit. So it threw him off balance, it threw his rhythm and timing off. And so I figured because he didn't have any good counters off of that to be able to knock my hand down or to move to my inside that I could confidently throw that inside hand out there to punch his hand and it would screw up everything that he had going on. And it proved to be a really good strategy because um, going forward, it was uh, going to be able to disrupt everything that he did. So you can see right here, the strategy was, I was going to take my right hand, which is my inside hand, and I was going to shoot it. And if he tried to use his long arm, I was going to punch his hand. If he didn't, I was just going to place it right here on his inside shoulder, and it would be able to keep enough separation that he wasn't going to be able to get to my outside shoulder to turn the corner to get near the quarterback. And you can see right here, 
once I'm able to stab that inside hand on, on uh, his inside shoulder, I was able to keep that length and then use my feet to work up the field and to keep my body between him and the quarterback. Now what, from a physical stature, what problems does he present? So from a physical standpoint, Jason was a tough guy because he was 6'6". He was only about 240 pounds, so he wasn't really big, but he was strong and he knew how to use leverage and he had those really long arms. And like I mentioned, he was able to take those arms and get them into the chest of offensive tackles. And once he had that hand in your chest, he was able to control you. He was able to play with your balance. He was really smart in that aspect because he, he could use little changes in your balance to his advantage and almost propel himself to the quarterback once he did put that hand on your chest. Now, and you mentioned all these kind of hand placements and everything you're doing. These plays are moving. This is, this is all three seconds. How are you thinking about all of these different things in kind of the, these split second moments? Yeah, it all goes back to practice because you can't just show up on Sundays and think like, oh, uh, at full speed, I'm just gonna like randomly take this hand and, and stick it out there and somehow see a moving target that's moving probably faster than I am already and be able to consistently hit that button while I'm using my feet and thinking about the play and making everything happen. So during that week of practice, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I would have the scout team player that I'm going against do exactly what Jason Taylor was going to be doing. Whoever I was going to face that Sunday, I was going to have that scout team player look, feel, sound, and act exactly like the player I was going to go against. So that whole week in practice, I would have my scout player sticking that hand out, trying to put that stab into my chest just like Jason Taylor was. And then I would take that inside hand just like I was practicing. I would punch his hand. I would punch his hand. So you're getting that repetition. You're seeing it. You're doing it in practice. And then that builds the confidence to be able to do it at a different speed when Sundays come. It seems like with the pass rusher position specifically, if a guy gets to his 10th year in the NFL, they've got to be doing something right. Because it's such an athletic base position that you see a lot of young guys play these positions. When you're facing a 10-year veteran and they're not at their peak athletic-wise, how much more skilled are they like, yeah. like a Jason Taylor is there? So uh, the reason, you know, you're six, seven, eight, nine, maybe are kind of the sweet spots for most guys because it's where your physical abilities have kind of peaked, but also you've learned enough about the game and you're technically sound enough where your technique has kind of peaked. Because after that, your technique continues to go up, but your skill set and your athleticism is going down more rapidly, right? So by the time you reach year 10, 11, 12 as a pass rusher, you're physically not where you were maybe four or five years ago, but you're so smart and you're so good technically that you probably, first of all, have one move that's so good it's almost impossible to beat. And you're so smart and you're able to change what you do so quickly based on what the offensive tackle is doing that you're so savvy that it doesn't matter who you go against, you're going to be playing the game twice as fast as they are. Now, you mentioned people talking about how this, this matchup beforehand, you were a rookie, hadn't yet established yourself as this kind of dominant left tackle. Was there any changes offensively to account for him? Or, and, and when you do make those changes, how much does it hinder what the offense can do? Well, a big part of why it was such a big game for me was because the coaches had said going up to the league, look, we know how good Jason Taylor is, but we think you're pretty good too, so we're not giving you any help. Like, we're not making any special concessions this week. We're, we're not giving you an extra tight end or a running back or a chip or slides. We're going to just act like this is Joe Blow out there, and you're going to have to handle him. You're going to block him. And, you know, if in the third quarter you've proven that uh, you can't block him and you've given up a couple sacks and a bunch of hits, 
then, okay, we're going to change our game plan. But we don't want to give up what we can gain in the pass game by having that extra player out there in the route concepts because we think you can block him. As soon as you take a running back or a tight end and you add him into the protection, you're losing a player that can give you flat control, that can give you a safety valve for a quarterback that's going to be able to put the coverage in a bind so we can take some of those bigger shots down the field. Um, so whenever you have an opportunity, you want your offensive lineman going one-on-one because it gives you more weapons down the field. Yeah, when, when a player reaches this status, though, in their 10th season, you're on the field and everyone knows this guy's going to the Hall of Fame. Does that change the mindset of the entire offense, or what does that change game plan-wise when a player really establishes himself like this? Yeah, so going into the game, uh, the coaches are going to look at the matchup and they're going to say, okay, we know how good this guy is. Do we think the player we have is going to be able to hold up? (laughs) And if he's not going to be able to hold up most of the time, what percentage of the time do they think we can trust him out there by himself? So if it's, let's say, 60% of the time, well, we're probably going to think that we need at least – 20 to 40 percent of the time where we're going to give him help so we're rolling the dice because you can't just give him help every single time you otherwise your offense has no chance of gaining any yards but what is that sweet spot where we're giving him enough help where he's able to do his job enough times for us to still move the ball down the field Um, so in a game like this it was uh, a heady feeling going in knowing that they said hey we trust you but this is sort of your moment like hey Make or break. Do yeah. or die. Don't prove us wrong. And I know you've mentioned this was the game where you realized you might be pretty good at this left tackle thing in the NFL. Let's look at some of the clips and just some of the stuff you're doing to kind of keep them out of the way and, and really make them a non-factor here. So this is a fun play because it's uh, it's kind of speaks to understanding how you fit into the offense and the protection. It's not exactly a quick throw. You can see Derek's taking five quick steps and he's going to be thrown to his right. But I know that I've got my left guard in my hip pocket. So I'm able to set a little bit wider and a little bit more aggressive and change the look that I'm giving Jason Taylor on this play. Even though it is a drop back, the slide is coming to me. So I know if I get beat inside, Eric Steinbach's going to be right there to give Jason a mouthful of his helmet. So for me, I thought that was great. So I used that opportunity to short set him. I jumped him. I gave him the feeling that he could beat me inside, knowing that Eric Steinbach was going to clean it up. If, if I was a player that didn't understand my protection and where my help was, I might just set back and give Jason the same look he always gets. And this is something that can frustrate defensive linemen, right? This is a player where he's thinking at, that, at this moment, right there, he's like, oh, I got him. I beat him inside. But... Now he realizes, oh, the left tackle gave me that because he knew his left guard was going to be there to help him. And so that can frustrate and uh, disappoint those defensive linemen. And they can get in their heads like, well, I'm never going to be able to get home because even those times I think I beat him, he was just playing with me and he was pushing me into where his help was. It's just the same feeling on a screen, right? How many times you see those defensive linemen, all of a sudden they feel like they beat their block They got that clean shot at the quarterback. They're licking their chops, and the quarterback dumps it off to whoever the running back is who runs down the field. So those are demoralizing for a defensive lineman. Does that change, though, if 54 blitzes on this play, Zach Thomas? I mean, would you lose that help, and then are you you stuck? Exactly. The the great thing about that is, I'm glad you brought it up, is the reason I'm so confident I can take my set and make it wide and give him that inside is because if Zach Thomas does hit the B gap, which is that gap between the guard and the tackle, I know that Jason Taylor now can't take that gap because now he's got two guys in that gap. So 
I know that if Jason has freedom from his defensive coordinator to be able to take my outside gap or my inside gap, that now there's nobody going to be blitzing in that inside gap. Also, if Jason just takes one step and goes and runs inside, now my eyes are going to go outside to the slot, the player that's playing over Kellen, because more than likely somebody's going to be blitzing from that gap. Because like we talked about early on, especially in 2007, defenses were very keen on putting a player in every gap, and they hated having two players in one gap because that would not make them gap sound, and that would leave huge gaping holes for the offense to exploit. So for me, I knew based on what the defense was, based on what our pass protection was, I could give Jason that inside play because my left guard was going to be there. Now let's look at another shot here just to kind of show off his skill set and all the things you had to do to, to, to kind of minimize what he was doing here. I mentioned the, the whole key for Jason Taylor was to get that inside hand into your chest, right? But that only as effective is when you are setting back off the ball. So you're taking the vertical or a soft set. When you aggressively set, when you jump set on him, you're able to get on him before he's able to get his feet in the ground and to be able to time up that inside stab to be able to use that to knock you off balance. So I'm aggressive, and even though I let him get his inside hand in my chest, I'm able to still get my hands on his shoulder pads and get my left hand in his chest to be able to control him and then just use my feet to kind of stay between him and the quarterback to be able to run him up the field. And Jason never had that dip and rip like we saw James Harrison where he could get up under your pads because he was such a tall player. So you never had to worry once you got into this position that he was going to be able to dip and rip and turn the corner onto the quarterback. I mean, that's got to be a pretty good feeling for you out there because he looks like he's about a mile from the quarterback. Absolutely. So <laughs> it, it was great. Like in this situation, when you're able to short set a guy, get your feet in the ground, get your hands on him, control him, and now you're, you're in a good basketball position between him and the quarterback. There's really nothing he can do. So now I have late help from my guard, but I don't even need it because he's well under control and he's at least seven yards from the quarterback. Now, you did such a good job in here, it's almost like we're giving Jason Taylor a Hall of Fame guy, you know, <laughs> kind of ripping into him a little bit. But who now is the Jason Taylor in the NFL? I think a little bit of Miles, but maybe doesn't have the mm -hmm. physical frame of Miles. But what, who do you see that reminds you of this guy? That's right? a good question. And I think one of the points that we should make is, for the most part, when you're a pass rusher, this is kind of what your picture looks like, right? Yeah. If you, if you have 40 passes in a game, you know, 30 of them, you're going to be a long way from the quarterback. You're getting blocked. That's just the way it is because of uh, the difficulty of getting sacks in the NFL. Um, so for him, he's probably not discouraged yet just because one play of him being that far from the quarterback. And being a good pass rusher is about just consistently giving that effort because you know eventually you're going to beat your guy in that one opportunity where the quarterback holds on to the ball and you are able to get that sack. And he's kind of a stand-up guy. Did he say anything to you after this game? No, he never did. He was a quiet guy on the field. I never really saw him too much. If you've missed any of our episodes, log on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, join us as Joe analyzes Steelers outside linebacker TJ Watt. For Joe Thomas, I'm Andrew Gribble. Thanks for listening.